Ohio. Ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. Gospel Tangents is supported by users like you. Please support us at gospeltangents.com or on Patreon, the best source for Mormon history, science, and theology, and first daily Mormon history podcast. I'm Rick Bennett. I'm excited to continue our conversation with Dr. Val Larson from James Mason University. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about King Lamoni. You know, he's one of the favorite characters in the Book of Mormon, and we'll talk more about how theosis is involved in that story. So you won't want to miss this conversation. Check it out. Well, this, one, this, is, this is where uh, we're going we're gonna to get riches from our scriptures if we start, start taking them as seriously as the Jews take their scriptures, right? The Jew, this kind of detail to the Jews, they would have, they would have dug out the meat of it, right? They, mm-hmm. It wouldn't have escaped them. And, and we're starting to do this with the Book of Mormon. There's, there's a lot of, uh, like when I uh, first started uh, working on the Book of Mormon in a scholarly way, I, I had a few things by Hugh Nibley to read, but Hugh Nibley wasn't mostly just reading the, the text closely. He wasn't giving this kind of insight. Right. He was linking it to ancient times, which was a valuable service. But, and he did some reading of the Book of Mormon, but he, he, that wasn't really his focus. But now, you know, you've got uh, uh, Roslyn is doing this. Joe Spencer does this very well. Um, there's Adam Miller. Adam Miller's doing an excellent Don job. Bradley. Yeah, Don, Donna's doing it. There, there's just a, a ton of people that are beginning to look at the Book of Mormon the way the Jews look at the the Bible. Pay the price, and the rewards are coming. And and what it's what it's doing is it's helping us see. Hey, this book has got a lot of depth to it, a lot of power, and 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 new ways of discovering who our Savior is. Uh, if we dig into it that will be made manifest to it. But we got to pay the price, you know. We, we can't read on the surface and expect God to reward us with depths of, of understanding. But if, if people are willing to study it and, and start looking at other people who have studied it and join with them in, uh, in seeing these new depths, we're going we're gonna to see our Savior more clearly and we're going to appreciate him more profoundly, what he's done for us. So while... Going back to Ammon now, while immersed in a culture that believed Marshall might ra- made right and that failures to fulfill the king, king's will merited death, Lamoni unjustly killed a number of his servants. That culture gave mighty Ammon great credibility. Now persuaded by God like Ammon that his might is nothing, Lamoni repents of those murders and embraces the gospel of Christ. The text suggests that he now has a vision similar to the visions that we talked about last time of Lehi, Nephi, and Mary. Like Lehi, Nephi, and Mary, and, uh, and there's, we discussed them each last time, all of whom were, quote, carried away. So this term carried away becomes uh, key, carried away in the Spirit of God. Lamoni is, quote, carried away in God. So that same f- expression is used. The phrasing suggests that he, like those earlier people, uh, that he it, he's he is like those, and, and that he had a heavenly encounter with God of the sort that Nephi and Lehi and Mary and the other carried away people had. 
To set up my analysis of what happens when Lamoni is carried away, let's digress for a moment and talk about your interview with Rosalind, <laughs> Rosalind right. Welch, which I saw earlier this week. In what that, did she in- get wrong? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> in that interview, Rosalind tells us that she concluded the phrase "carried away in the spirit." suggests that one has a heavenly vision like the visions and dreams of Lehi or Nephi. As I did in our first interview, she she suggests that when Mary is carried away in the spirit uh, in Nephi's vision, Mary had the same experience of God that Nephi had in his vision. Rosalind hadn't watched our previous interview or seen the article Noel and I wrote that came came to that conclusion. this was an independent discovery. So this is, this is completely something you know, she came up with. The fact that two separate sets of close readers reach the same conclusion is evidence that the conclusion is objectively grounded in the text. This is a form of validity that you get in mm-hmm. literary studies. The point is that the phrase carried away in the spirit seems to indicate that one has had the paradigmatic encounter with divine beings that Lehi and Nephi had. Again, this is relevant to Lamoni because he too is described as being carried away in God, right? So, so what is this paradigmatic vision one has when one's carried away in the spirit or in God? When Lehi was carried away, he saw God on his throne and he saw Christ descending from heaven. And then in the continuation of that vision in Lehi's dream, Christ comes to Lehi and says, uh, come, follow me, he uses <laughs> the words that kind of tell us who he is. Uh, then leads Lehi to the tree of life, which bears Christ as its fruit. In, in, in Lehi's vision and dream, um, uh, we see God the Father, Yahweh the Son, and the sacred tree that bears Christ as its fruit. Nephi uses a slightly different expression. He says, I was caught away in the Spirit. So the word carried is changed to caught, but it's basically the same thing. The rest of them are carried away as he starts his vision. But he but he then has the same paradigmatic experience as his father. He's taken up to heaven where he stands in the presence of El Elyon, the Most High God, uh, uh, with Jehovah, whose divine human status is confounded in the text, as we saw. And he sees there the sacred tree, uh, which the text suggests is a manifestation of uh, heaven, uh, in heaven, of what Mary is on the earth, a mother. Uh, Mary and the tree in heaven are linked together. Uh, uh, Rosalind noted that but she didn't note that the tree was in heaven. <laughs> and so if the tree's in heaven, is it really Mary? <laughs> My argument is, no, that's, that's the divine mother. And especially when you look at the attributes, the attributes that are given, to, uh, as Mary's described, are human. She's compared to other human beings. The attributes that describe the tree in heaven are, it's above all whiteness, above all possible earthly uh, 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 beauty. So, yeah, go ahead. And her name is Asherah? <laughs> Uh, among others, right? Shaddai, <laughs> uh, wisdom. Uh, you know, there's many. There, there's many names uh, for this divine uh, female divinity in the Old Testament. Mm-hmm. If it's read with an eye to seeing that. And you compared this tree to a Jewish candelabra, or what's the other word? Well, uh, or to the menorah. Menorah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That. Uh, there's a lot of people see that, right? So be, actually, because because uh, the Asherah tree apparently was, uh, they took these almond trees and they trained them to have that shape. So as, as you go out across the countryside in, um, in Israel, like from, salt, from going way back, actually, they had these uh, living menorahs all over the place that were the symbols of Asherah. 
the divine mother. Mm-hmm. So actually, when you talk with Dave, uh, Dave Butler. He's going to blow my mind. Yeah, well, he, I mean, he's, he, he'll get you into that kind of stuff. You ask him about that, he'll, cause, because he's going to find the temple all over and those kinds of details he's great on, on picking up. So, so anyway, um, um, we have this, this Asher, uh, which, which was a well, a well-known, uh, symbol of the divine mother. Again, the countryside was <laughs> dotted with these, uh, uh, sacred mother trees all over the place. So we have a Nephi's vision, the mother of the son of God, after the manner of the spirit in heaven, the tree in heaven, and the mother of the son of God, after the manner of flesh on earth. Um, and so, so that's what was part of Nephi's vision. Rosalind doesn't note and discuss the fact that, that as I've mentioned, that trees uh, that the tree Christ descends from is in heaven, not on the earth, and that it has heavenly, not earthly attributes. So, as, as I was just mentioning, but she she does see it as having maternal meaning. And Adam Miller, her co-author, independently draws the same conclusion we did uh, on a different point that when the tree is described as being the love of God. The first meaning of that phrase is that the tree is the thing God most loves, certainly an apt way to think of mother in heaven and about Christ, the beloved son. So the mother, wife, tree of life, and the atoning beloved son are the two most important objects of and manifestations of God's love. So that, that, uh, the tree is, uh, it says in, the, in Nephi's vision, he wants to know what the tree is, and, and the angel tells him, it is the love of God. And then Am, uh, Adam picks up on the same point we had earlier picked up on. This is another one of those uh, converging interpretations that uh, create validity in a reading. Adam uh, took as the first meaning that the love of God wasn't um, the feeling in God's heart, but the object of his love. As if, if you say, my wife is the love of my life, she is, she is uh, your love, right? Uh, but that doesn't, we're not saying she's inside you. We're saying she's the object of your love. And, and in that vision that Nephi had, he's very clearly talking about, I mean, obviously about the sun and uh, well, it goes on to say, which sheddeth itself abroad in the hearts of the children of men. Well, uh, the word shed is always coupled with blood. So whose blood is shed, right? That the thing that God loves is, the son who sheds his blood, the beloved son who sheds his blood every Sunday, we all partake of that blood. Christians all over the world do, but, but also the tree, you know, the tree is the, it says the tree is, is also, um, the love of God. So, uh, so the, 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 uh, the son and the mother are, are the focus and and this this we I highlighted this in our last interview, so we didn't need to re- repeat it, I guess. But Rosalind and Adam uh, conclude that Mary had the paradigmatic ex- experience, even though the text doesn't say anything about what happened to her when she was carried away. But here, when Lamoni is carried away in God, we are told what he experienced, and what we're told matches well with what Nephi said about his experience. Uh, before turning to Lamoni's experience, I think we should add. Joseph Smith's encounter with God and Christ in the sacred grove to the list of paradigmatic experiences. So Lehi's having the experience, Nephi's having the experience, and uh, Joseph had the experience. We almost always mention the sacred grove 
when we talk about Joseph's first vision, I don't think there's a, 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 that it's an accident that we do that. The King James translators chose to translate the name Asherah, the word Asherah, which again denotes the divine mother as the grove. So when the father and son appear to Joseph Smith in the sacred grove, which we mentioned all the time about the first vision, heavenly mother is also present, at least symbolically. I mean, it's like the grove, the grove. That has heavy Old Testament resonance, right? It's like, look up the grove in the Old Testament and go look at the underlying Hebrew, Asherah. So, uh, And that's what uh, Josiah started cutting down all the groves. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly, right. Actually, we, we talked in that last interview about uh, there was a grove on opposite the temple, on the hill opposite the temple, mm-hmm. and he cut that down. And <laughs> so it's right there where the tree is in Nephi's dream. You mm-hmm. know, and again, and the, and that, but that Asherah was a, uh, uh, most likely a, uh, uh, a tree in the shape of a candelabra. So it really was connected to the temple. And, and he's, 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 he, he was throwing all kinds of things out of the temple that had the sons and the other host of heaven, all these other beings that are in heaven with God. He was getting rid of all that. Why? Because it's all being collapsed down into this one being outside of time and space. All right, so, so let's now focus on what Lamoni experienced when he was carried away in God, just the same phrase, right? Carried away in God. Uh, are there any indications that he had the paradigmatic experience that Lehi, Nephi, Mary, and Joseph Smith had? In the detailed account of Lehi and Nephi and Joseph's visions, the most salient feature of the divine beings they encounter while carried away is luster, the brightness, the whiteness of the light that divine beings exude. Here in, in this Alma chapter 19 story, when Lamoni is carried away, the text speaks of, quote, the light which did light up his mind, which was the light of the glory of God, which was a marvelous light of his goodness. So he's seeing the light of the glory of God. Well, how do you see the light of the glory of God? You see God and his glory exuding from him, the Father. Uh, The focus on the light and glory of God, uh, that like Lehi and Nephi and Joseph Smith, uh, suggests that Lamoni has seen God the Father in his glory. Lamoni then tells us that he also saw the son and the mother. And the way, Lamoni de- the way Lamoni describes what he saw suggests that his experience had the same form as Nephi's. Remember that Nephi saw Christ coming forth from the tree in heaven and be born of a woman. That was in, in his vision. It's like, we see the tree in heaven, he descends from the tree in heaven, and then he is born of a woman. Uh, Mary on the earth, right? So, when, when Lamoni gain, regains consciousness, he says, quote, I have seen my Redeemer, and he shall come forth and be born of a woman. This two-part phrase, shall come forth and be born of a woman, fits what Lehi witnessed in his vision. Yahweh came forth when he descended from the tree in heaven, the mother of the Son of God, after the manner of the Spirit. Then on earth was born of a woman, the mother of the Son of God, after the manner of the flesh. As we'll see, this reading that Lamoni ex- Lamoni's experience matches Nephi's paradigmatic experience, receives additional support from Lamoni's response to his wife when he, uh, when, when she arises uh, uh, from a parent, sorry, when he arises from a parent death, when he first arises, he, he's going to say something else or something, uh, another part of what he just said there. We first encounter the queen, Lamoni's wife, with her children around her mourning her two-day dead husband. Others want to bury Lamoni, but the queen insists, uh, insists that that not happen. She, she won't let it happen. Instead of burying him, she asked Ammon, the Christ figure, who had redeemed her servants to be sent to her. 
Ammon tells her that though he had, uh, uh, that though uh, Lamoni has been as if he were dead for two days and two nights, on the third day, Lamoni, like Christ, will rise again to new immortal life. Is this meaningful? He's rising on the third day, you know. Um, the queen has faith in the Christ-like messenger Ammon and in her Christ-like husband, Lamoni. She replies, I believe that it shall be according as thou hast said. On the third day, her faith in Ammon, the first Christ surrogate, is rewarded when Lamoni, the second Christ surrogate, arises and says, Blessed be the name of God, and blessed art thou. For as sure as thou livest, behold, I have seen my Redeemer, and he shall come forth and be born of a woman. So there's that uh, phrasing again, but... Here, we have additional evidence that Lamoni recapitulated Nephi's paradigmatic experience. What's striking is, in Lamoni's statement is the anomalous grammatical equation of the divine God and the human woman. Blessed be the name of God, and blessed art thou. What has Lamoni seen that would cause him to grammatically coordinate a divine being and a human being? Which he does when he says, blessed be the name of God and blessed art thou. Blessed, blessed, right? Blessed uh, uh, God, blessed thou. Um, What leads him to view the life of his wife as the surest of sure things and swear by that when he says, as sure as thou livest. So her life is somehow the the most uh, eternal and real of things. If his textual echoes indicate, he has seen something like what Nephi saw, the divine woman Shaddai, the divine tree in heaven, manifesting the divine destiny of a mortal woman, the queen. I mean, in, when the, the tree in heaven manifested the divine destiny of Sariah, Sariah converted, turned into the, uh, the sacred tree in heaven, the, and now the queen, right? She she's also has that same destiny. Uh then this grammatical equation makes sense. Now, understanding who the gods are, Lamoni has double vision and sees two queens, uh, with the mortal queen on earth being destined to become an immortal queen like the one he's seen in heaven. Strictly speaking, Lamoni equates the queen not with God, but with the name of God, Elohim, the plural whose literal translation is gods. So Elohim means gods. The plural God suggests that God exists not as the father alone, but as a father-mother dyad. So uh, this dyad creates human beings in their image, as the Genesis says, in the image of God, male and female, right? Mm -hmm. So again, this is right at the heart of our theology. We're, we're, uh, we're seeing this coupling of male and female. And, and, and as, we, as I go on, you'll see uh, some additional symbolism of that uh, uh, emerging here. To summarize, I think Rosalind and Adam were right to say that Mary had the same paradigmatic vision as Nephi did when she, like him, was carried away. There is sufficient evidence to conclude that, but we have much stronger evidence that Lamoni had that paradigmatic experience. He saw the glory of God the Father. He saw the sun come forth from heaven. Then so be- should it be the gospel of Lamoni rather than Abish? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I, but I haven't got to Abish yet, right? Right. We're going to get on to Abish and talk about her in a second. <laughs> this, is all, this is all leading into Abish. So is there eight gospels, not seven? <laughs> <laughs> well, they say that in their book. They say I there's know. not seven. <laughs> so so, so uh, uh, he, he saw the sun come forth from heaven, then be born of Mary on earth. Uh, what he saw in vision made him see his wife in a new light as one who was blessed, as one who might be appropriately equated, at least grammatically, with a divine being or beings. 
The narrator resumes, having spoken to his queen and called her blessed, Lamoni sinks again with joy, and the queen also sunk down, being overpowered by the spirit. So she's she's carried away in her own personal encounter with divine beings, right? So she's going to go off and have the same experience as sort of the suggestion here. Not just her either. This brings us to Avish. <laughs> I'm getting there. <laughs> Ammon and all his fellow servants, but one, are now likewise overcome by the Spirit and fall to the earth unconscious. While unconscious, we're told that they converse with angels, which indicates that they too are enrolled in this divine council. They're having the same experience. Is this a Pentecostal experience? Uh, it, certainly, uh, Pentecostals would recognize this, right? They would. And 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 uh, there's a. And that's why they identify with the early uh, members of the church. But there obviously is a routinization. I mean, there's, there's an evolutionary things that happen across time. But we should be open to this. Well, you know, Steve's reading the Book of Mormon finally <laughs> didn't listen to me. But anyway, <laughs> because, you know, his favorite book is Chris Thomas's book, A Pentecostal Reads the Book of Mormon. Right, right. And Chris is just like, there's Pentecostal all over the Book I know. of Mormon. And the Pentecostals, I mean, this opened eyes of a lot of Pentecostals when they come to this, right? Because it, was, it wasn't until 70 years later that all this started happening with them. Right. And, and, but it's not just that it's in the Book of Mormon, but it was happening among the saints at that time, right? They had all the Pentecostal manifestations there. Mm -hmm. so, and we've I, lost that somehow. Well, you know, uh, one, thing, one, thing, this, one thing this can do for us probably is help us to understand God isn't only working with us. I mean, we got some important things here, and actually, we're we're pretty much the only ones that are getting this idea that he's of a kind with us. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's a that's a unique insight that's here in the Book of Mormon and elsewhere. They're not none of the rest of them are picking up on that, right? But God's working with them. God doesn't ignore any of His children, mm -hmm. and He. I mean, you know, when we have those meetings with, uh, uh, you come to a, a lot of times, and I'm there pretty much every week of the perspectives on the Book of Mormon, where we have all, people from all the different branches of the Restoration. I have not the slightest doubt, talking with those good people, that that God is working with them. They give what they uh, from they give priesthood blessings with the priesthood as they have it, mm -hmm. uh, and healings happen. You know, and and I mean, it's like uh, God is. <laughs> we, can, we can't claim any exclusivity to the working of God in the world, mm. uh, uh, that he's only loves us. Anybody that starts, <laughs> nobody ever says that in the church, of course. Well, you but. know, that leads to the question, is there only one true church? Uh, well, let's put, it, let's put it this way. There's only one church that's teaching the, our theology in this way that diverges from the others and harkens back to that Abrahamic theology. I don't. I don't know of any other church that is. Uh, other, other, even most of the other branches of the restoration, like like the Community of Christ, they're just fuzzy about who God is. And the polygamists. Uh, well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> others that are. They, they take ours. Others that farther with others it. that break off from the Utah branch. Right. right? You gotta. You gotta be with the Utah branch, basically, because the Monongahela people don't have this. Correct. <laughs> and, and but these are all great people. God obviously works with them. I hope you enjoyed our conversation with Dr. Val Larson. In our next conversation, we're going to talk about one of those obscure characters in the Book of Mormon, Abish. When the spiritual power comes, it knocks everybody else out, but not Abish. And and I, I'm suggesting here, this isn't this isn't a first encounter for her. And it's kind of like uh, kind of like the story of uh, 
uh, of that vision that uh, Joseph and I was Sydney just had. Of that. You know, it's like Joseph is there; he's perfect, fine. Sydney is, you know, <laughs> wiped yeah. out. Well, I, I think a, a similar dynamic is happening here. Everybody else is wiped out by the, what this experience of being carried into the presence of God, but not Abish because this is this is not unfamiliar to her. Is is my argument here? Thanks for listening, and I hope you to continue to enjoy Gospel Tangents. Consider becoming a Patreon or go to gospeltangents.com shop, and you can get a cool tie, a hat, or even a nice mug. You can also get a sweatshirt, so check it out at gospeltangents.com shop. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.